Please make sure your Bibles are turned to Psalm 26. What does it mean to have integrity? I think um, that's not a word that anyone would say, well, that's overrated, we don't really need that. Everyone's looking to, to have integrity in the sense of holding other people to that. They want other people to have integrity. What about you? I mean, what is it? And how do you know when you have it? And what's the value of it? Sometimes you'll hear a person say, character is who you are when no one is looking. And I think that that's... a It's true, and I think that's critical, that what you are in secret, you are in open. But listen, but integrity isn't just what you are in secret. Integrity has to do with what is true about you in the open. Not just honesty. A person can say after talking down another person, well, at least I was being honest. But that's not integrity. So what is it? And why is it important? C.H. Spurgeon is a good place to start talking about the conscience and integrity He said this, when the little bird in my bosom sings a merry song, it is no matter to me if a thousand owls hoot at me from without. In other words, integrity starts by not ignoring the merry song inside of you that is singing just what you should do. Singing when you have done right and there's no reason to condemn you for wrong. Spurgeon says, quote, if we cannot be believed on our word, we surely, we are surely not to be trusted on our oath, end quote. Listen to that again. If we cannot be believed on our word, we are surely not to be trusted on our oath. Doesn't matter how many promises you make. If your word says the opposite, then your promise means nothing. If your life says the opposite, then your promise means nothing. A.W. Tozer said it this way, A guileless mind is a great treasure. It is worth any price. Oftentimes the way we live life is so complicated And I believe for most of us, we make life complicated and busy. Now listen to what I'm about to say. We make life complicated and busy so a person doesn't learn what our real integrity is. If we could be busy enough, if we could get things complicated enough, if we could get lots of things going on on the outside, maybe they won't look to us to figure out what's going on on the inside. Thomas Watson, 
said, the plainer the diamond, the more it sparkles. The plainer the heart is, the more it sparkles in God's eyes. How true is that? I think the psalmist's concern here, David's concern, and the Lord's concern is that we are so busy trying to live a sparkly life that catches the attention of another and we've dismissed the plain life that we've turned integrity upside down and not understood really that it is the simple plain life And sometimes we just like to say, oh, that's just boring. But I tell you this, boring and integrity sometimes have much in common. Now we come to Psalm 26 and it's all about integrity. And don't get me wrong, the Lord has made us all differently. And so when we walk with integrity and there is that sparkle that is in the Lord's eyes. We'll all shine just as the Lord wants us to shine. Philippians 2 says that very thing. But we come to Psalm 26, and it's all about integrity. And this is another David psalm. So look at verse 1. He says, for I have walked in my integrity. I've walked in it. Verse 11, as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. So we get the, he starts out the first verse that way. He gets towards the end and it's that way. This whole psalm is about that. And then verse 12, my foot stands on a level place. And so we're talking about stable living. We're talking about really the, the keys to a stable life, to a life that is level. The unwavering life. We're talking about our reputation as a follower of Christ. Not that we need to go around campaigning and finding out, hey, what do you think my life is like? Hey, what about you? And what about you? And what about you? So I just want to make sure that I keep up with the Joneses and make sure that I look the part. That's not integrity. But we are talking about our reputation as a follower of Christ, as one who belongs to the holy God who created all things and is perfect and is the judge of all. The life that's connected to that God. See, Not perfect people, but pardoned people. Understand the difference. We're growing in that perfection. Philippians 3 speaks of that very thing, not that we've already obtained it, but I press on. There are some other clues here to understand what David says here in Psalm 26. Notice the positions and parts of integrity. In verse 1, I have walked. Verse 2, my mind, my heart, mind and heart. In verse 3, before my eyes I have walked in your truth. In verse 4, I do not sit with deceitful men. 
In verse 5, I will not sit with the wicked. Verse 6, I shall wash my hands in innocence. Verse 9, my soul he speaks of. Verse 11, I shall walk. Verse 12, my foot stands. And so what do you have here? Walking and sitting and washing and standing. And so you have integrity then in all those positions of life. And I suppose we could describe life that way. I mean, sometimes life feels a bit like, you know, you're walking. And walking just means you're keeping your feet moving. And you know how that is when, in life when you stop, when you should be going, sometimes that's when trouble comes. He talks about sitting. There's a time to sit. Who, you, who do you sit with? And oftentimes, where it is that we, we, we sit has to do with the counsel that we're receiving or that we're taking part in. That is the voice that we're listening to. It talks about washing. Where do you go to get clean? I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about mentally and spiritually. Standing, there is a time for standing. That is, positionally, what do you stand on? The convictions that you stand on. Integrity in all those positions. There's a life movement then of integrity. And by the time you get to the end here, notice, David is on the level ground. I think for some of us, if we were to be honest and describe our life, it wouldn't be called level ground. It might feel a little bit rocky. Maybe for some of you, your ground is actually on a descent and it's going towards the valley and it's not good. And then maybe for others, you feel like you're going, you're living with trials and around trials. And for you, it feels more, not like a descent, but more like an ascent. And you feel like, man, I am, I'm going against everything. And it just feels like life for me is an, an uphill walk. And you know how it is when you're uphill walking or uphill running. It's slower. You exert more effort and more energy. You get tired quickly. Does that describe life maybe for some of you? And so David, by the time you get to the end of what he has to say, is on level ground. No bumps, no hills, nothing crooked or uneven. And all that stuff in his life has been removed and it is a smooth, straight path. See, Like Psalm 1. A few more things to point before we get to it. Notice Psalm 26 is similar to Psalm 25. We studied Psalm 25 last week. Both talk about integrity. Did you notice that? Psalm 25, David was asking God to lead him into the truth, to help him get integrity. In Psalm 26, he's saying, I have it. Isn't that good? 
He asked for it in Psalm 25. Psalm 26, he says, I have it. You got to love answered prayer. And when you pray about the right things and when you pray about powerful things like that, and it gets answered like that, that's good stuff. Makes you really have high thoughts about God. God answer that prayer. Say, Teach your paths, Psalm 25.4. And in Psalm 26.1, I have walked it. Same thing in Psalm 26.3. So you might say Psalm 26 is the answer prayer of a man who trusts God. This is what it, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you trust him. Now, let me show you even a few more things. This is rich, Psalm 26. It's good stuff. Psalm 26 links back to Psalm 1. Listen to this, Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He delights in the law and the truth of God, who meditates day and night in God's truth. Look at Psalm 26, 4 and 5. David says, I do not sit with deceitful men. Verse 5, I will not sit with the wicked. Verse 3, I've walked in your truth. David is saying, in Psalm 26, David is saying, I'm a Psalm 1 man. That's what I wanted. I said, it, I said that that's what a godly man is in Psalm 1, and now I get to Psalm 26, and I'm telling you, right now, where I look at my life, that's where I'm at. Psalm 26 doesn't only connect to Psalm 1, it connects with Psalms 15 and 24. In Psalm 15, he asks this question, Who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? And then in Psalm 24, this question, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? Psalm 26 is David's answer to that. I can. Whoa. I mean, how many of us could even feel like we could even remotely approach answering that question, right? Without feeling like you're boasting or bragging of something, right? But David says, I can. Why? Because of my integrity. You say, is that David boasting? No, it's David pointing to the work that God has done. You say, are you sure that's what's going on here? Look at verse 8. The place where your glory dwells. In other words, life lived this way is all about one thing, God's glory. When David says, I have integrity, it's another way of saying, God gets the glory for it. He's saying, God has got me to this place for his glory, this place of integrity. One last thing I want to point out to you. If you read, most commentators we're making this point 
they believe that Psalms 26, 27, and 28 are really just one unit because all of them talk about um, the house, the Lord's house, the temple, the Lord's house of glory, the assembly. And so in a sense, this psalm is meant to be the start of the large gathering in the Lord's house. Now, what does that mean? This. Integrity is the first and key thing when it comes to the gathering of the Lord's saints. And when we notice that it's missing, we go after our brothers and sisters, to help them get back. We gather because this is important to us. Let me say it another way. Integrity is the key to fellowship. Before there can be meaningful fellowship, there has to to be integrity. In fact, it's what allows one brother or sister to open up and share with another brother or sister your heart. Hey, pray for me this way. Why? Because I have noticed you're a man or a woman of integrity. And so, it makes this gathering sweeter. Integrity does. Now, having said all that, David deals with this. What is integrity and how can a person know if he is walking in it? How do you know when you're walking in it? I mean, we don't know David's personal situation here in this psalm, uh, but we could tell from this psalm a few things. One thing in particular, one big thing, is this, that David is being falsely accused. David is being falsely accused. That's always a time to see integrity. When somebody says you're one thing, but the truth of it is the opposite. That's always a time to see integrity. I mean, when things are going great, everyone's going to say nice things about you, right? But how about when someone disagrees with you and somebody begins to sling mud at you, how do you respond to that? That will demonstrate where your integrity is. When people begin to trash your character, You see, integrity needs no defense. It stands in the storm. Integrity is its defense. As verse 11 says, it stands on level ground. You might be in a storm, but integrity allows for you to stand on the level ground. Unmoved. So how do you get to that level ground kind of living? How can a person know if he is walking in integrity four ways? Let's put integrity on four hooks so that you can see it. Point number one, 
or hook number one, integrity proven. Integrity proven. Now, this is a prayer. And so David prays, Lord, I'm innocent. He's praying on that basis. But instead of me acting as judge to others, and in fact, instead of me acting as judge of myself and trying to convince others, look at what he says. He says, I'm calling for you, O Lord, to be the judge. Vindicate me. Look at verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Now that's an incredible thing to say. I was thinking about that this last week and thinking, oh man, have I ever prayed like this before the Lord? This is amazing. It's bold. It's strong. It's powerful. It's dangerous. Because if it's not true, then what? (laughs) He knows, doesn't he? He is asking the Lord literally to judge him. Boy, you ever prayed that? You say, no, I'm actually praying the opposite of that. Please don't judge me, right? Lord, you be the judge of my situation. I want you to judge me. Can you imagine if you approach the Lord that way? What a The only person that could really do that is the person who is... Who's the, who has the Lord as his refuge and then can be the judge, right? So I only want to do that if it's safe. Lord, you be the judge of my situation. Judge my motives, my actions, my thoughts, this whole situation. You be the judge of it. And when a person gets to this place where he or she doesn't take matters into their own hands but seeks the Lord to do that very thing, you're in a good place. When you begin to take matters into your own hands, you're going, you're moving away from integrity. Just know that. There had been times throughout David's life where he just stood on his integrity. Sometimes that's all we have. I mean, it's, you know, their word against mine. Have you ever been to that place? Psalm 35, verse 24, Judge me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and do not let them rejoice over me. Same thing in Psalm 43, 1, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. So many of us are talking to the wrong people. Things start to go wrong. People start to go against you and you know that they shouldn't be going against you and you're trying to find somebody who can plead your case for you, who will believe you. You're talking to the wrong people. David says, I don't have anybody that I can go plead this to. Besides, it's not going to be helpful. And so I just plead it to you, O Lord. You vindicate me. 
Now, by the way, that's not a prayer for an unbeliever. That is not a prayer for a guilty man. Romans 2 tells us the unbeliever's conscience keeps telling him that he has broken God's law and is guilty. But for the true believer, he moves over to Romans 7. And when he feels uh, just the sin that is close to him, he cries out, I feel wretched, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, Paul was always at that place, by the way, always sending it back to the Lord when it came to his integrity. I'm not going to defend myself. I'll let God do that. God proves my integrity, see. 1 Corinthians 4, mark this down as it relates to integrity, especially starting in verse 3. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you. Boy, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great to be able to say that? Because oftentimes, when somebody examines me, it's a very big thing. It becomes a big thing. Oh, no. I hope I did the right thing. I hope, I hope they think good of me. Do you think good of me? Paul says, it's a small thing. Whatever it is you think, it's honestly just a small thing. That I may be examined by you or by any human court. Well, I'm taking this to court. Small thing. That's a small thing. Listen, if if I'm walking in integrity, you can take it to the highest court. That doesn't matter. What they have to say about true integrity is a small thing. In fact, Paul says, I do not even examine myself. You ever feel that pressure from what others have to say about you? Small thing, Paul and David say. Why? Because humans make for poor judges. You say, I've been saying that for years. Well... So do you. Paul says, even I don't judge myself very well. In other words, I don't even trust myself. I don't even trust how I see myself. Verse 4, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. He says, the way I see it is, if my conscience is saying, I don't, there's nothing there, but even that is not good enough. I go to the Lord and say, Lord, if there is something, show me and, and let me be willing to embrace it, to accept it. Therefore, Paul says, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will bring both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Listen, Paul says, only God can really judge me. And that's because only the Lord is able to look into the motives of the heart and see what they really are. Now, that's not to say, for, I mean, First Corinthians 5 says there's a place for us judging each other as it, as it has to do with us following the Lord and the things that we can see. But we're talking about things that cannot be seen. 
motives of the heart. Why say that? Because the motives are what shape the integrity. And when a man lives this way, knowing that only the Lord's judgment matters and he judges way deeper than man, he knows the motives. And no man can know that. So he just places himself in God's hands. That's that's where he wants it. I'd rather be in the hands of a perfect judge than in one who I know will be impartial and who struggles with the same evil sin that I do. Give me the perfect judge. That's where he has peace. It's where his identity is. Steve Lawson puts it this way with David, quote, he knew the vicious rumors and charges against him were untrue. He knew that. His life flowed from the fact that he had trusted in the Lord without wavering. In the face of men's slanderous charges, David appealed to heaven for God's final verdict, which was all that mattered, end quote. You know, David's always been concerned about integrity. Psalm 15, verse 2, He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Constantly speaking truth into his heart. Jesus said in Mark 7, From within the heart of man flows any evil that comes to the outside where his actions are. The opposite is true. Integrity flows from within to the outside too. In 2 Kings 20 verse 3, Hezekiah prayed to the Lord this way. Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And then Hezekiah wept wept bitterly. Now, why is he weeping? Well, he he had just been told that he was going to die. Get your house in order. You're going to die, Hezekiah. So he says, remember how I lived, Lord. In other words, judge me on that basis, how I lived. How did he live? Integrity. Proverbs 20, verse 7. A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. You want to raise proper sons and proper daughters? Give them integrity. It's the very thing that Paul kept, excuse me, that kept Paul moving forward in ministry around all kinds of critical people. Here's how Paul handled critical people. 2 Corinthians 1, 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. And then later on, he says something similar. In other words, we were the same kind of people, whether in the world or around the church. Same people. Later he goes on to say, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. That's integrity. Same over there as you are over here. See? Integrity. But when they measure, he says, uh, 
For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. The lack of integrity shows itself when you start to compare yourself to other people. He says, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. In other words, he says, you don't understand how integrity works. He say, well, but you don't understand the people that I'm around and the pressures that are there in my situation. Solomon did. Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. David invited the Lord to test him in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Imagine praying that way. Search me, O God. Bring your investigation on me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So integrity starts with this proving ground God alone is judge. God alone vindicates. What others think doesn't matter. See, There's a second way a person can know if he is walking in integrity, the second hook. Let's call this hook number two, integrity tested. Integrity tested. Now watch this. David uses three words to describe God as judge of his integrity. Look at verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and heart. Examine, try, test. Steve Lawson says, David invited God's close scrutiny of every aspect of his life. End quote. Now, words like that are intimidating for the person trying to get away with something. You don't want... Anybody getting in there examining anything, especially the Lord. But for a man after God's own heart like David, that's exactly what he wants. Test me, Lord. Show me. Help me see. Keep my leash tight and short. Don't let me stray from you. Test my heart to see if there's some hidden thing in there so that then I can deal with that. See, I like that. This is spiritual inventory. A person desiring to walk with integrity, he desires this. Why? Because he wants the Lord to prove him to be blameless. To be above reproach. Against Steve Lawson, David was confident that such a thorough investigation by God would clear him of his enemy's charges because the Lord's love was always before him, motivating him to walk continually in the truth of God's word. Now that's verse 3. Look at verse 3. For, test me because your loving kindness is before my eyes and I have walked in your truth. You see what he's saying? I invite you, O Lord, to test me, but I can do that because your love and truth are before me. 
I'm connected to your love and truth. When God saves a person, He brings love and truth together as friends. Love and truth together as friends. This is the thing that the world absolutely cannot understand. The world is either fighting for some type of justice that lacks love or some type of love that lacks truth. But it could never bring the two together. But for the believer, the Lord himself has done it. Psalm 85, verse 10, listen to this. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him, and will make his footsteps into a way. End quote. Love, because before he was a condemned sinner, but now a friend. He's in a love relationship with the Lord. There's forgiveness of sins now. Truth, because that's the new way. That's the the holy way. Love from Christ's cross. God accepts us now. Truth from Christ's word in his life as our pattern. That's what you have here. That's the Christian. Love that flows from Christ and his cross. Truth that flows from Christ and his word. As our pattern. Now listen to this. Oh man. I'm about to give you some real help when it comes to integrity. In other words. That is our measurement now. We measure integrity by that. Love and truth. Is it loving? Is it according to the truth? You know, something can be loving, but not according to the truth. That's not integrity. And we might call that nice or flattery. That's the reason why we try really hard with our kids and we were raising them as it, when they were younger not to use the word nice. We didn't tell our kids, hey, be nice. Nice? Anybody can be Nice? We don't want you. That's not enough. That standard is very low. Be nice. That's like saying, I want the truce. I don't want the peace. No, I want peace. End the war, right? Nice is love without the truth. It, it, it seems like it's love, but it's not real love. That's not integrity. Something can be truthful too, but not loving. That's not integrity either. That's that's more like hypocrisy. That's Revelation 2, forgetting your first love. That's cold obedience without a heart of love. And when, when it's that, by the way, that's not Christ's kind of obedience. That's a person that has knowledge and facts without love. That's not integrity. Say, what is the way of tested integrity? What is the Lord testing for? He's testing for those two things, love and truth. 
And he's testing them in four expressions. Let me give, these, give you these four expressions right here from Psalm 26. The first one, here's the way of integrity. Let's call this expression separation from the world. Separation from the world. Look at verses 4 and 5. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Spurgeon, commenting on these verses, said, The congregation of the hypocrites is not one with which we should cultivate communion. Their ultimate rendezvous will be the lowest pit of hell. Let us drop their acquaintance now, for we shall not desire it soon. They hang their beads around their necks and carry the devil in their hearts. This clause is in the future tense to indicate that the writer felt no desire to begin an acquaintance with the characters whom up till then he had shunned. We must maintain the separated path with more and more circumspection as we see the great redemption day approaching. Those who would be transfigured with Jesus must not be disfigured by conformity to the world. David says, I don't sit with deceitful men. I mean, that's a mark of separation. I I want to be next to men of truth. Men who say what they mean, and they mean what they say. We're talking about a, a person's company here. I mean, integrity can be spotted by a person's company. As one Ancient author put it, show me who you hang out with and I'll show you your integrity. Not comfortable around people that pretend. Notice the word hate. That's not indifference. It's a stronger, it's a stronger word than that. There's, there's emotion here. There's passion here. Integrity loves what God loves and hates what God hates. What a crucial way to understand just what integrity is. Separation from the world. And I tell you, when you read through the New Testament, so clear. Jesus said it in Mark 34 through 38. He talked about separation from the world there. Paul said it in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, right? James said it in James 4, four. John said it in 1 John 2, 15-17. All, they all said it. They all made a big deal about it. It's a big deal, beloved. All of them tell us that it is a mark of solid Christian living. Of integrity. Here's the second way integrity is tested. A second expression integrity is tested for. Innocence from evil. Separation from the world And then secondly, innocence from evil. Verse 6, I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord. The priests wash their hands, as you guys know, in a ceremonial way. When making offerings for sins, they wash before serving the altar. And I believe David's point here is that he will make sure that his heart is pure before serving anyone. 
I don't want to just go serving people and have it become really clear that I'm a person that serves, but I really don't care about my life over here. Not just sincerity, but purity. And there's a difference. Talking about an honest heart here. James Boyce says, quote, We must not think that all the problems we face in trying to live a blameless life are due to other people, however. That is exactly opposite to the solution I propose for dealing with people who are blatantly evil. On the contrary, we must know that we are sinners inclined constantly to wrong ourselves and therefore in continual need of confession, forgiveness, and cleansing. And what David says is that we need to be able to wash our hands in innocence. A well-known symbolic gesture for being free of personal guilt in some matter, end quote. So that's another. You, you might say that this point is really akin to just not wanting to come, come across hypocritically, right? Here's the third way integrity is tested. The third expression is a testimony of saving grace. A testimony of saving grace. Opening your mouth. Say, what do you mean by that? Look at verse 7. That I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. Proclaim and declare. That's our testimony. See, what's... What's our testimony? Simple. That God is awesome. He's awesome. We say a lot of things are awesome, but the truth of the matter is that where we kind of belittle the word, we make very little of that word awesome when we want everything to be awesome. God is awesome. That's saying it right. Thankfulness for what God has done for you, see. Integrity points not to self, but to what God alone has done for you. That's integrity. In other words, it admits weakness and it it confesses inability. Here's why I'm thankful, David says, I couldn't do this for myself. God had to give me the joy. God had to overcome my enslavement to this particular sin. I mean, he, he had to make me a patient man. I wasn't that myself. God had to give me the joy. God had to overcome all kinds of things. It's a testimony that you now live by grace. His grace. All God's wonders are the power of what only God can do. That's what he means when he says the wonders of God. Of what only God can do. And the greatest illustration of that power is sanctification. Spiritual transformation, see. And so you see a person change. Whoa, that's why. By the way, that's why I don't make a big deal about... I think we, I think we make too, too much of a big deal about personality. i got to be honest. We want to know what people's personality is. Listen, don't waste your time if you're a Christian. Because if you're growing in the Lord, that thing will change tomorrow. That's important that it does change, Right? Because then you're becoming more and more like the Lord. It's not about personality. It's about spirituality. It's about transformation. There's a fourth way integrity is tested. 
And here's the fourth expression of it. Love for God's people. Verse 8. Oh, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. What's the habitation of the Lord's house? He's talking about the temple. The temple is where the people came to meet God. They, they came with their sacrifices. Remember that for their sins? But they came. They all came. This is the assembly of the needy. Next time somebody asks you, hey, what do you do on Sunday morning? I'm going to the assembly of the needy. What are you talking about? Is that some type of, uh, you know, addiction, uh, you know, meeting or something like that? Ah, it's just church, actually. We're all a bunch of needy people. But you know what's so good? We're all needy people, but we serve, we serve Jesus. And he answers all of our needs. So good. We're the assembly of the Christ followers. David says, I love it. And that's because he loves God. He loves God's truth. And so he loves God's people. And he loves God's glory. Beloved love is is a mark of integrity. Will you notice that when a man lacks integrity, there's always a limit to love? There's always a limit to what he is willing to do. I mean... He goes only so far that that's where you know there's integrity lacking. You know, know, sure, I'll help, but I'm only going to go so far. There's a threshold for that love, for that interest, for that service, for that willingness to be there for you. That's not real love. That's the test of the way of integrity. And when you see a person going and These four ways you will see integrity, separation from the world, innocence from evil, a testimony of saving, sanctifying grace, and a love for God's people, a, a love really for God's glory. David says, examine me, Lord, to see if those four ways are the direction of my life. There's a third hook for integrity. Let's call this point number three, integrity anticipated. Say, what do you mean by that? You might call this integrity's reward. Where does integrity take you? James Boyce called this part final separation. Look at verse 9. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed in whose hands is a wicked scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. We'll get to verse 11 here in a moment, but Verses 9 and 10 basically say this. Don't let my soul get swept away with those going to hell. Oh, I want them to come to know you, but don't let me be swept away with them. Don't let me be swept away with those who will face God's judgment. See, wait, doesn't he realize our salvation is secure? Yeah, so... He does, so what's he praying like this for? Well, I love this point, because this is really a point about humility. This is David in humility. Listen, Lord, he says, listen, Lord, I'm no better than those guys. I'm really no better than those guys. I I feel the lack of integrity in my heart. I've done things. I'm no better than the sinners, but, but I've sought you. 
I'm not wanting to do the things that they do. I, I hate the ways that they go, though I, desire, I mean, though I deserve condemnation. Don't let me be condemned with them. Spare me from the same condemnation, not because I'm better than them, but because you're gracious. You say, are you sure that's how he's thinking? Yeah. Look at verse 11. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be what? Gracious to me. David says, my life has the moral purity you require. It has the integrity. Redeem me from their false accusations. Redeem me from the personal attacks of evil people. There is something that you can anticipate when it when, when you are person of integrity you've put this love in my heart O oh Lord you've put this desire to be pure in my heart don't let me go down with them when the dust settles it's as though he's saying I know what happens when people disobey you I don't want to be at the party when the cops come and bust this thing. That's not me. That's just not me. Not because I'm better than them. But because I belong to you. May it be a statement of your grace. See, One last hook for integrity. Point number four. Integrity expected. Verse 12. You say, doesn't that be the same thing? Anticipated, expected. Let me help you. Verses 9 through 11. Look out to the future. Anticipates the future way down the road. Verse 12 looks to the here and now. What does integrity expect right now? Look at it. My foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Integrity gets around people of integrity. David felt his greatest sense of integrity with the Lord's people, the congregation. Notice his foot stands. It's, it's integrity's standing position, the level place. Balance. The outward part of him matches the inward part. You know, sometimes our emotions outrun our, our true life. Sometimes our knowledge outruns our character. You know, how can that guy who knows so much do those sinful things? Because he's not on a level place. What a psalm here, Psalm 26, and I hope you're at that place where you want that kind of integrity that Psalm 26 talks about. See, what could you do? Let me give you a few thoughts here as we close. Be humble. Invite the Lord's investigation. See, how can I do that? Pray. How about this? Read the Word with an open book and an open heart. As he begins to point out things to you, 
don't just close it and say, oh, no, no, no. Can't do that. Focus on the Lord's glory. Here's another thought. Get yourself around other like-minded believers who want this kind of integrity. And then focus on those two massive parts of integrity, truth and love. How about this one? Confess your need of his grace for it. And then finally do what David says at the end of this verse. Bless the Lord. Just bless him. You ever been to that place where you just feel like you're looking in the, in the tank of all that you've shared with the Lord and you prayed and you just have nothing more? You say, what, what, can I, what can I do? I want to become that man or that woman right now. Just bless him. I, just, I don't know what else to say, Lord. I just want to bless you because I know you're going to answer this kind of prayer. I just want to bless you for that. It's a good place to be. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. And, oh, Lord, I feel like I've been shown something magnificent and amazing. And then uh, as though I've maybe gone out on an incredible vacation. And I've gotten to see wonderful things. And now I have to come back home to my regular life and be honest and admit that I'm not all of these things, but I want them. Help us, Lord, to be men and women of integrity as we follow you, not for our own personal glory, but for the glory of Christ. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please uh, stand and uh, let's see. Oh, in a moment, we're going to get our drummer. He's probably uh, used to me preaching a little bit longer. Chris Thomas.
Well, as I mentioned, this is a sort of a full morning, but it's full of good things. So um, we uh, have one, a few other things to do. Um, one thing we wanted to do is this is uh, a bittersweet time for us as a church body. Um, we'll start with the bitter and we'll end with the sweet. So if we could have the gut chocks come on up here. And uh, there's sweetness in this, but uh, there's some sadness too. As we are, this is their, this is their goodbye uh, send off Sunday, if you will. Um, let's see. I think I've. Is my, is it Amy? I don't know who's got the little gift deal here. Oh, is it back there? Under the pulpit. Here we go. Sweet. Okay, here we go. Well, we. Uh, do not you guys are gonna kill me start crying. Alright. Um, oh, hi Ryan. Um, so this is for you guys. I'm not gonna be able to look at them in the in the in the eye here, so I'll just kinda uh, we are uh, so uh, excited for them and uh, what a journey uh, it has been. Um, and um, seen uh, you have you guys have had marks on so many people here in, in the body. And uh, we have talked about this day coming and shared a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. We were talking about a different uh, family leaving. But, you know, when you come in the military, you're, you're coming here, you know, for a short time. And then you're here and then you go. And there are some people when they come, they, they really kind of, sort of get involved, but they know they're not going to be here. And so they it's kind of almost touch down and then they, and they really don't get involved. There are others like Matt who got himself really deep in it in a good way in uh, pouring his heart and his life. Um, and so really uh, Grace Bible Church over these last, what's it been, eight years, Matt? Eight years has uh, really been marked by uh, service and love, fellowship, flock group moments, uh, moments of barbecue, Christmas party moments with shirts that uh, design shirts, uh, ideas, uh, Christmas ties. I could go uh, on and on, uh, and uh, so many amazing moments here. We are we are greatly going to miss uh, them. Uh, Gina, uh, I'll never forget uh, going through the study of Revelation with you uh, there. We had a curriculum team as we were putting together Revelation. Still haven't come out with it yet, but a lot of it's going to be. <laughs> she had some amazing, uh, some wonderful uh, insights, and uh, the team was, uh, that was a wonderful time that way. And so really got to know you pretty well uh, through that and, uh, and that. So we wanted to pray for them here at their send-off uh, and uh, know that, for them to know that we're going to greatly miss them um, and that. So 
We want to pray for you. He has you. By the way, oh, I forgot to mention. We look at them as extensions of Grace Bible Church, little missionaries, so to speak, over there in Pensacola, where they're going to be headed. You guys are leaving on Thursday, right? And there'll be like a, some type of gathering that, that people can, you know, Tuesday night, open house. Springfield. Springfields, there you go. Six to eight, there you go. So if you want to say goodbye there in a more for, formal way, that way uh, please do. So. But let me pray uh, for them. Gracious Father, we, uh, our hearts are filled with uh, joy as we see the Gotchaks uh, go from here to where you have them in Pensacola. And at the same time, such a sadness because we just want to, like Paul in, in um, 20, Acts 20, where, he, where they wept for him because they were sad that they wouldn't see them again or see him again. Our hearts are sad in that way. Uh, we love Matt and Gina and the kids, um, Jordan and Kaisley, and we just pray for them as they go off to Pensacola. Use them mightily, Lord, to have a ministry there. Use them to just love people. Use them to be a testimony of your grace. Uh, pray, Lord, for not only their safe travels, but that when they get there, uh, that when it, whether it's a, a home or getting the kids ready for school or job, uh, that you would uh, help them in their endeavors, Lord. And also we pray for them in ministry there, that the fellowship will be sweet. And guide them to the church you want them to be at. And uh, may may their growth there be exponential because of your hand on them, Lord. Thank you, Father, for giving the time. We know it was just on borrow, um, and so we just give, we just hand them over into your hand, Lord. Accomplish your will in their lives, Lord. And uh, I pray, dear Father, that um, wherever they end up at, church, church-wise, Lord, use them mightily that way to bring people to know you and to help people to grow deeper in their uh, love for Christ. We love you and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.